Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 201 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. We're here, folks. The NCAA Tournament March Madness is here, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this March Madness season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Not just for March Madness, down the stretch they come in the NBA, NHL, MMA, boxing, tennis, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag today, join, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts with that said. Episode 201 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Yeah, sir. They can't stop me. Even if they stopped me. <laughs> yeah, I'm on it. Oh, I'm on it. I'm so on it. However you own it, you can get it tonight. And all night, I get the beef from ice cream. Crazy on him. I don't give a mother. Run up in the nigga house and shoot his grandmother up. What? What? I don't give a mother. Get your baby kidnapped and your baby mother. It's the call of three. Spell to put your supper up. Holly Grove, I throw it up like I'm trying to lose my gut. Is up, beat him up like a million uppercuts. Got a million duffled up for the f of the Get on my level, you can't get on my level. You will need a space shuttle or a ladder. Welcome back, welcome back. Episode 201. We are on to the next 200 with yours truly. It's ATH Aaron Tobin has back in the saddle, back behind the mic. And we are here, folks. We are here. It is the week of. The kickoff of the NCAA tournament, a magical weekend is going to be upon us. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year in sports. Wall-to-wall action, eyes are bleeding because a lot of college basketball, but we wouldn't have it any other way. We are going to break down the bracket as Selection Sunday was yesterday. It is now Monday evening, and we're going to have Jordan Marks on in just a little bit to talk about it. But first, a couple of things. So as I gushed over the New York Knicks... In a prior episode, they obviously proceeded to go on a three-game losing streak. That loss against Charlotte was bad. They fought hard in Sacramento, a very good Sacramento team, by the way. Let, I, let's just, we're going to go on a tangent for a second. The Sacramento Kings, a team that they're over-under in Las Vegas before the season started, was 33 and a half wins. I bet the over. I was super confident about this. It was my best bet. And right now, they have won 40 games. And they are the two seed in the Western Conference. This is a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2006. The longest playoff drought in pro sports. And that's going to end this year. They are the two seed in the Western Conference. They are excellent. They may not play a lot of defense. But they have the best offense in basketball, the very best offensive basketball, and their clutch time offense is absolutely tremendous. De'Aaron Fox's clutch numbers are awesome. This was somebody who was highly maligned, who is now going to make an all-NBA team, most probably. He made his first all-star game this year. 
He loafed it in the All-Star game. I didn't appreciate that, but whatever. A lot of people loafed it in the All-Star game. De'Aaron Fox has been absolutely sensational. Absolutely sensational. And DeMontis Sabonis, who's also going to make an All-NBA team, probably third-team All-NBA for the center spot, has been sensational as well. For a team that when the Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis trade went down, I said it was a great trade for the Kings. I was told they got trade raped. And guess what? As good as Halliburton's been, and he's been very good for the Pacers. Excellent. When Halliburton plays, the Pacers are actually a 500 team, which for them is really good. Halliburton's a very nice player, made his first All-Star game. Very much deserved. But the Sacramento Kings won that trade because Sabonis is awesome. And guess what? It unlocked De'Aaron Fox to become one of the five or six best guards in the NBA. That's what he is right now. That's what the profile is. So kudos to the Sacramento Kings for being awesome. And I know a lot of people are going to pick against them in the playoffs. But guess what? They score the ball better than anybody else in basketball. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to beat them in the playoffs. But anyway, so the Knicks lost the bad game against Charlotte. Then they fought hard against Sacramento. Jalen Brunson went out in that game, didn't play the second half, got down, came back, but ultimately couldn't get over the hump. It happens. Lost to a Clippers team that's maybe rounding into form. Kawhi Leonard was sure excellent. Paul George has been very good. And then they played the Lakers last night. And the Knicks needed this win the worst way. No Jalen Brunson. Obviously, LeBron James is not playing for the Lakers. And the Laker fans in my life were talking a lot of crap. A lot of crap. Talk about the Knicks. This weak-ass team. It's going to be sent home in the California trip 0-3. Well, it turns out that the Knicks lost to the two good teams in California and beat the borderline mediocre team in California. And that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, was it a pretty game? No. I know Julius Randle scored 38 points. That was about the most topsy-turvy, uneven 38 points I've ever seen. It was actually gross to watch. There were moments of brilliance, and there were more moments of what the hell is this guy doing? And it just goes to show you the, the fatal flaw of this team is that Tom Thibodeau treats Julius Randle as if he's LeBron James in terms of having the ball in his hands constantly when Jalen Brunson isn't there. Now, when Brunson's there, he sets the table. It's a different story. But when Randle is by himself without Brunson, it's a major problem. And considering Emmanuel quickly has been really good, and he was actually solid last night, there's no reason for Julius Randle to revert back to old Julius. But this is a Tibbs problem, as much as it is a Julius Randle problem. But the Knicks break the three-game losing streak. R.J. Barrett had a very nice game, all in all, from start to finish, except for that last possession with 14 seconds left. I don't know what the hell he's doing taking that shot up for. The Knicks did everything in their power to throw this game away. Whether it was bad late game offense, turnovers, bad shot selection, they did everything in their power to blow this game. But 
They come out with a win, break a losing streak. We don't apologize for wins. Deuce McBride, whose minutes have been up and down, was absolutely sensational. Besides for Barrett, he may have been the best player in the game for the Knicks. And Isaiah Hartenstein was also tremendous. Tremendous on the defensive end. He didn't score a point, but it didn't matter. Like, his plus-minus was awesome. He was great last night. So, good win for the Knicks. We're trying to get that five seed. We definitely want to stay out of the play-in tournament. And we'll see what happens. But it's very clear that this team needs Jalen Brunson. The New York Giants have been active in free agency. They got a deal done with Daniel Jones. Four years, $160 million. And I know everybody was up in arms at the sticker price. But if you break it down a little bit, it's basically an opt-out after two years. They can get out of that contract when the cap spike goes up. He's going to be a guaranteed dollar figure of about 17% of the cap, which is less than Dak Prescott, who at this point he's better than. So it's not a bad deal for the Giants. It really isn't. And if he doesn't progress like he did last season and there's no upward trajectory, they can get out after two years. Not a bad deal from the Giants. They also franchise tag Saquon Barkley for just over $10 million for next year. You knew that was going to happen if they were going to sign Jones. Barkley was going to get the tag. Jones will be back. Barkley will be back. Let's see if they can build on what they did last year. And then they just signed, not that long ago at the time of the recording, Bobby Okiri from the Colts, linebacker, four years, $40 million, $22 million guaranteed. I got to be honest, I'm not an expert in his game. But if Shy Elberger likes the deal, I like the deal. Giants definitely needed a linebacker. It's a position they do not draft in the first round. I know I've harped on this because they decided not to take Micah Parsons that year, whatever. We're not crying over spilled milk, but the Giants have been active and good for them. So far, it's shaping out to be a good offseason for them. Now let's see what they do in the wide receiver department because bring back Sterling Shepard on a one-year deal that's really not it. As for the New York Jets, the New York Jets have gone all in for Aaron Rodgers. It's no secret. They want Aaron Rodgers, and now it's a matter of Aaron Rodgers wants them because if he's going to play football next year, it won't be for the Green Bay Packers, even though he's under contract, whatever. If the Jets don't get Rodgers, they don't have a plan B. Derek Carr signed with the Saints. Jimmy Garoppolo signed with the Raiders. Would the Jets pony up the draft capital for Lamar Jackson? If Rodgers decided to retire, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. Aaron Rodgers was great once upon a time. Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl. And that was in 2009 or something like that. Like, Aaron Rodgers, for as many MVPs as he's won, he's kind of like the most overrated quarterback in the history of the NFL. I, I just don't get it. And now he's just turned weird. Like, he's into psychedelics. He's going into a dark room for, he says, four hours to contemplate his future. And it was really, like, two days where he just stayed in a hotel. 
Like, the guy's just weird, man. Like, do you really want to be getting in bed with Aaron Rodgers? But right now, the Jets have absolutely no choice. We will see how this plays out. But Mike White signed with the Dolphins. So if it's not Rodgers, it's going to be either Joe Flacco, probably, or Zach Wilson. And I think Jet fans would go absolutely berserk if that was the case. So let's see. All right, one last rant before we bring on Jordan Marks. And I want to have this conversation, the N- the NBA MVP conversation, and the incredibly terrible discourse that's surrounding it, surrounding Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. And you're kind of seeing it the same thing along the same lines with the Lamar Jackson situation that the Ravens non-exclusively franchise tag Lamar, which basically means that Lamar can go out in free agency and see if somebody wants to give him the contract that he wants, basically bid for his services, and the Ravens can match. And these two situations are being treated because, of course, like it's a race issue. All right, let's start with the NBA, the MVP discussion. Nikola Jokic, a great player, an absolutely great player, has won two straight MVPs. Joel Embiid hasn't won an MVP. Joel Embiid's been very deserving. Nikola Jokic has been very deserving. It's gotten to the point where it's like you can't even agree that two people are very deserving. That, like, it's an absolute Shonda as us Jews say, that one person wins over the other. And you see the the disgusting lobbying in the media. Daryl Morey on Twitter just being absolutely shameless for Joel Embiid, his general manager, like quoting all these stats, cherry-picking these stats like an absolute jackass. Meanwhile, if you dig a little bit deeper, last year, Joel Embiid was great in all the advanced metrics, just behind Nikola Jokic. Their win totals were separated by, like, two wins. So, like, Daryl Morey just being an absolute dirtbag on Twitter. I don't particularly like Daryl Morey to begin with. And then you have Mike Malone, who's talking about Nikola Jokic, his coach, that if you even considered voting for anybody else, like, you have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to basketball, even though Giannis is averaging... 31, 10, and 5, and is all first-team defense. And the Bucs will probably finish with the best record in basketball. So you're telling me that that guy's not deserving? Yeah, oh, okay, dude. You know, Joel Embiid is leading the league in scoring, 33-10. and 10. The Sixers are coming on. You're telling me that guy's not deserving? Like, if you vote for that guy, you don't know what you're talking about? Yeah, but it really came to an incredible heat level, this discussion, when Kendrick Perkins was on first take and basically said, intimated, that the voters for the MVP award are racist and biased against black players because the only three people to win an MVP award since 1990 without being top 10 in scoring, are Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, and Nikola Jokic. 
when one year when Nikola Jokic won, he was like 0.7 points per game off of being top 10. So, okay, Steve Nash, fine. And Dirk, same thing, was like a fraction of a percentage off of being top 10. And the Mavericks, I think, had 67 wins that year, and he didn't play a lot of fourth quarters. Not to mention that he picked 1990, but he didn't include 1990 because when Magic Johnson won the award just before 1990, he wasn't top 10 in scoring either. But again, that doesn't fit Kendrick Perkins' narrative. And then he just tried to walk it back, and then, but he kind of lost his argument when he said the facts are the facts, and J.J. Redick, good for him for calling his ass out for being stupid. I mean, Kendrick Perkins is one of the least qualified people to talk about anything on television. I know he played in the NBA for a long time, but he's as dumb as it comes when it comes to talking on television. So good for J.J. Redick for taking him to task because that was absolute garbage. And now we see it with Lamar Jackson, that the fact that the Ravens are crazy for not wanting to give Lamar Jackson the Deshaun Watson contract. And this all stems from when before Lamar was drafted, when Bill Polian and others said Lamar should switch to wide receiver because they didn't think he can throw. Because, of course... That's because he's African-American. You wouldn't say that about a white quarterback. Bill Polian was wrong. Lamar Jackson, last pick of the first round, has exceeded expectations as a pro. Won an MVP. Now, do I think he deserved to win that MVP? No, but that doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback. I don't think he's a top seven quarterback, but he's still in the top ten. You know, he wins games. But to make it sound like they don't want to give him $250 million guaranteed because the Deshaun Watson contract was dumb and no other team wants to sign that contract. The Kyler Murray contract was dumb. No other team wants to get themselves in that kind of a situation, especially for a guy who's not named Patrick Mahomes, who's not named Joe Burrow, who's not named Josh Allen. But it has to be a race issue. Ryan Clark comes on talking about how Daniel Jones makes X and Lamar Jackson doesn't make that and Lamar Jackson won an MVP. Well, Lamar Jackson hasn't gotten a deal yet. They're reworking it. And it's not racist to say that the Ravens don't want to pay Lamar Jackson $250 million guaranteed hamstringing their entire cap for a guy who, let's just say, has questionable health issues. You know, he's not the most durable guy. He hasn't been great in the playoffs. There are questions about his ability to throw intermediate routes. But no, it has to be a race issue. It's embarrassing. Sports media, 95% of the way it's covered is absolutely embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I sometimes like Ryan Clark. I think he's generally pretty insightful. Kendrick Perkins, I can definitely do without. People say he's a nice guy. I enjoy his stories about the 08-09 Celtics with Kevin Garnett. That's great. But sports media needs to figure its shit out. Not everything in sports media has to revolve around race 
in the United States. Just be better. Just be better because the shit's tiresome and I've had it. Anyway, with that said, we are going to talk about more positive things. Things that are fun. We're going to talk about the reaction to the unveiling of the NCAA tournament bracket with Jordan Marks. We're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. So he's back. He's practically a co-host this month, Jordan Marks. We got to talk about the bracket, the reaction to the selection show, all that good stuff. It's our time of the year, but I know you're a Jets fan. You're waiting on the Rodgers news. Cars no longer available. Garoppolo's no longer available. Mike White has left for the Dolphins. Where's your head at when it comes to the Jets in this Aaron Rodgers situation? I mean, it's it's it's, it's done, right? I thought it was a done deal. Um, but uh, I, it looks like, I guess, nobody like reported it for sure yet. Um, but I, I see no reason why we wouldn't want him, you know. Uh, we, we have we have better skill talent, I think, than, than the Packers do. So um, I think it's I think it's it's a good fit. He's a crazy dude. And I don't know how he's going to sit with the New York media, but um, it's it can only be positive for us. Where are the heads of the Jets fans going to go if, let's say, this falls apart and he decides to retire? How, how much worse could it get? Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What do you, what do you, where are they you don't go? think this would be rock bottom? I, I, dude, I don't know. Rock bottom is uh, is Zach Wilson potentially tearing his ACL in the preseason, but then not even mattering because it's, you know, Zach Wilson stinks. So <laughs> starting this, Joe Flacco would be rock bottom, I think. Well, <laughs> there's if this Rogers thing falls apart, I mean, you're looking at the Zach Wilson Joe Flacco combo unless they decide to just throw the draft capital at the Ravens for Lamar, who was, uh, you know, franchise tag, but you could be, uh, can you can negotiate with them, basically. It's basically a free agency. I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this by the Jets. Uh, Joe Beningo, famous, you know, torture Jets fan, said that he just wished they would have signed Carr and been done with. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, I don't. I, I don't disagree. Um, I mean, I get there's obviously reasons they didn't, but um, I think that would be, that would definitely give us stability for sure. So I would have. I would have. I would have been fine with it. Well, that's talking a little Jets. That's not what we're here for. The selection show was yesterday, so this is this is why we're on this show right now. So we got to kick it off. What did you think of the bracket? In general, what was your first reaction? Did anything jump out at you? Um, what did you think about the number one seeds? Were there any glaring omissions? Was the fact that the Mountain West Conference got four teams a little crazy? Tell me your thoughts. All right, so a lot there to unpack, so I'll do my best to not ramble. Um, I, th- I thought they did a great job in general. I-, I think since they moved to the net a few years ago and, and we've been having like our annual conversation, I don't really recall, like, in the past few years having any gripes with the actual 68 teams in the field. Um, by extension, Last year, you just had that Texas A&M thing. But, again, still, with the with the totally. quad one, quad two system, it's really hard to have any real screw-ups. 
for sure. And, and by extension, the, the hundreds of bracketologists that there are out there right now that do this for a living got at least 66 of the 68 teams correctly, if yeah. not 67 or 68 perfect, right? So uh, the only- Minardi great... missed one, right? He was 67 right. for 68? Right. Rutgers or Oklahoma State could have been in the field uh, where Nevada or Arizona State are out. But, you know, I probably would have been put Rutgers in over Arizona State, but the margin's so thin there. And like, if you're a power conference school, you can't really complain about missing the field. You have your chances and you made your own bed, right? You play enough quad one games that you can figure that out. So um, there's some other gripes I have, but they're not about the teams in the field. So it's more what, seeding wise? Yeah, so I, I think I have some gripes on the seed lines and how the committee is is really judging teams. Um, I think any human selection playoff format, which is really just basketball and, and uh, college football, there's going to be some variance, but... You know, two of the things that I, I really noted, number one, Florida Atlantic, uh, this one really jumped off the page. If, if you actually look at this team, they've been ranked inside the top 25. And again, the Florida Atlantic Owls inside the top 25, which if you're inside the top 25, just a people, that's a six seed at worst. But right. if you don't want to use that, let's use the net where they're 13th, which is a top four seed. If you don't want to use that, let's look at their predictive metrics like Kempom. Um, and that. If, if you're going by that, they're, they should be about a seven seed. And then if you want to use their quadrants, you know, they're 23 and 0 in quad three and four, and then they're six and three in the two first two quadrants. But instead, they're on the nine line, which is kind of crazy. And they're playing a strong Memphis team that just steamrolled one of the one seeds for the second time this season. And Purdue looming, if they could even do that. So I think Florida Atlantic got screwed. And the other one is the team you just mentioned, Texas A&M. I mean, this is a seed line that really doesn't make sense to me. I, I think if you look at their season-long resume, uh, they started 6-5 and five with two sub-200 type losses to Murray State and Wofford. But since then, they're a top-10 team in America, and I know it's a season-long. But at the same time, they went 12-7 and seven in the first two quadrants, have seven true road wins, second place in a top-three conference in the SEC, and top-20 rank by all computer metrics. I mean, this is a team that everybody predicted would be on the five line, but instead are on the seven line playing Penn State team that just made the Big Ten tournament finals and really gave Purdue a push. And then they have to play against a highly experienced Texas team that was potentially a one seed for most of the year. Um, so just I think that's a brutal, brutal, tough go for the, the Aggies who are one of the hottest teams in America. Were any teams overseeded in your estimation? Um, you know, potentially, but it's it's really about how they judge it. Like, are they looking at injuries? Like, you know, are they not? And then with recency bias into play, like some teams that, that have fell off of late, um, are they overseeded? But there wasn't anything overseeding. Um, you know, the one seeds I thought they got, they did a generally great job. I wouldn't have put UCLA on that line. Um, and, and they ended up getting a really good geographical draw anyway by by getting to go to Vegas if they make the second. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, I think they, they generally did a good job, though. So of the four one seeds, all right, because obviously they headline the, the tournament. It's Bama, it's Houston, it's Kansas, and Purdue in that order. Which is the most vulnerable one seed and why? And Alabama being the number one overall seed, do you think that they got the respect from the committee with their draw? Uh, yeah, so uh, let's tackle one of those, each of those questions. I uh, Vulnerable, you know, I think Kansas had such an impressive season, but I think they kind of got screwed here big time. Um, you know, 
if they beat Texas in the Big 12 title game, I think they probably are the number one overall seed, if not the number two. Here they got the third number one seed. Because of that, they now have to play in the West region, which, you're again, like I just said, their second weekend is in Las Vegas instead of the Midwest right. and the city. Now, that would be a great place for Kansas to play where Houston will be playing. But what really sucks is that I think this is the toughest region, whatever the region of death, whatever you want to call it, top to bottom. I mean, a matchup in Las Vegas could potentially be against Gonzaga, who is scorching hot right now, or UCLA. Again, they're missing Jalen Clark, but UCLA is super close to Vegas. Gonzaga always has good turnout, and so does Kansas, but that's kind of crap. I mean, they set a record with 17 quad one wins and now have to be shipped to this West region instead of playing in their backyard in Kansas City. Well, not just that. You look at UConn's a strong four. You know, they were were strong four. TCU was a top 25 team all year, and they're the six, right? I mean, they may have caught a break with UCLA given the injury issues that UCLA That wouldn't be until the Elite Eight anyway. Right, Right, that wouldn't be until the Elite Eight. And, I mean – that four and six seed are, are, are strong seeds, you know. For, the four for and six team. seeds are strong. And then, I mean, that eight-nine game across across the the way, I mean, the eight the eight seed in Arkansas has two lottery picks. I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, the nine seed in Illinois is, is still a strong team with Matt Meyer and Terrence Shannon, two players who played in the NCAA tournament last year uh, on Baylor and uh, Texas Tech, respectfully. So uh, that, 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 those, that's, a, that's a tough game in its own right. So I just, you know. I think they kind of got screwed. And 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 to answer your question about Bama, uh, Bama. I mean, we're, we're there's not going to be any shortage of talking about Bama over the next few. Well, weeks. we're going to talk. To, we're going to talk about them more in in a second in terms of just the overall Bama situation. But yeah. do you think you know snapshot being the number one overall seed that they got the respect they deserve? Yeah, I, I definitely deserve. Think that they deserve the number one overall seed. You know, the only gripe would have been that Houston Kansas thing, but. Uh, Bama, from a resume standpoint, there's no question they were outstanding all year um, and, and played in one of the toughest conferences in America and played and, and won it outright and won the, the tournament. So that usually translates to, to a very, very good seating, which they got. And back to Kansas just for a second and, and their draw. I mean, St. Mary's, from what I was you know reading up on a little bit, they're probably one of the weaker five seeds. But VCU's a strong 12, and we'll get to the 12 seeds as a whole in general. I mean, you have Rick Pitino, who's coaching an Iona team, who's looking to move on to St. John, so he's got something to prove. TCU was a top 25 team most of the year. They're on the sixth line. Like, if Kansas set a record for the most quad one wins, and to get that draw, that's kind of tough. Yeah, like, so, how is Purdue not getting that draw? Totally. If you were to ask me before yesterday who was the most vulnerable one seed, there'd be no question it'd be Purdue. Um, Purdue's had a lot of trouble as of late with, honestly, good NCAA tournament teams, but, you know, very mediocre in terms of, uh, you know, Big Ten seeding being between mostly between the 7 and 11 lines. So, um, yeah, I would have said Purdue. I mean, they play all through Zach Eady. And they have some freshman guards that turn the ball over quite a bit, but they're beatable. And not your lottery pick type freshman guards. Like no, lottery no. type talent is different. No, no, there's no Jaden Ivy walking through the door. There's, that's not the situation. Um, but, you know, they, they have the national player of the year in Zach Eady. So 
that he's definitely a different animal that you don't see every day in your in your regular both mid-major or even high power conferences there's a reason he's so such a dominant big but again like you know you get him two early fouls and, and that, that changes the entire game for Purdue so I do think they're vulnerable but they have a pretty decent draw so um, second weekend it should be very doable for them all right we touched about it a little bit Alabama we didn't talk about it on last episode because there's still a lot of dust that needs to be settled. Um, obviously, we have the Brandon Miller situation, how he may have been involved uh, in uh, murder. We have Darius Miles and his teammate who are actually sitting in a jail cell because they have been indicted on murder charges. But we're going to try and look past that right now uh, and just the team in general on the court. This is an extremely talented team, and Brandon Miller is tremendous. I mean, probably the best player in college basketball. And there's Victor Wimbanyama, there's Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller would probably be the third player selected in the draft. Some people would actually take him over Scoot, depending on what the roster looks like. Again, I haven't delved into the draft that much. But for as talented as this team is, do you think realistically that they can block out all this noise, all this noise, and and win the whole thing? Because just by filling out a bracket, you know, when the when the selection show just happened and seeing what was going on, like they do have the most favorable draw to the final four. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I... can Nate Oates get his guys to block it all out i don't yeah so that that's a different question i mean if you want to speak strictly basketball the answer is uh, yes they're, they're very very good i mean this is a world class class offense they take a high volume of threes and, and are really adept at knocking them down they have as you said insane length and athleticism they have the best nba prospect in the country they play fast they defend like crazy and they're just like it's it's almost impossible to prep for Alabama on a on a twenty four hour window, right? So, and no, none of these teams um, have really seen anything like Alabama in their leagues, um, and and they don't have really um, an SEC um, opponent in their region outside of Missouri, which I doubt they'll ever get to see because that would be in an Elite Eight setting. So, but the question that you asked is, um, you know, it, it, what are they going to be able to block that out? The noise is only going to get louder and louder about this stuff. I mean, as they go deeper into the tournament, when the media friends more press, yeah, there's going to be more and more press. Um, Nate Oates and Brandon Miller are going to be called upon to answer serious questions, and they're not going to be about how do you, how, how are you guys going to score on San Diego State? They're going to be about, <laughs> they're going to be about the murder because that's that's what national media is going to ask about. They're going to be about why do you do the. Uh, the the gun check thing on your on your walkouts where they they have a teammate pat him down like they're going to ask questions like that because they truly don't care about Alabama's shooting threes they care about this so that that noise is going to get louder and louder and I will say they are lucky they are not in the East region going to play in Madison Square Garden because the New York media would not oh my god be anything else by the so, way how awesome is it that Madison Square Garden is actually getting NCAA tournament games 
Finally. They were basically the home of the NIT forever. Yeah, the Big East tournament was awesome. But, like, now this is the big time. I know they had it in Barclays last year. And Barclays, whatever, it's fine. But but Barclays is Brooklyn, all right? Madison Square Garden is the biggest time of the big time. So it's awesome that they are having games in Madison Square Garden. Quite frankly, it's been way too long. Absolutely. It's okay. You could have Kentucky. Like, what are we doing you have, here? You could have Kentucky. You could have Duke. You could have Case. I mean, it could be, it could be some fun teams there. So um, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. But back to Brandon Miller for a second. His semifinal game in the SEC tournament was one of the best college basketball performances I've ever seen. Yeah. He didn't start out shooting the ball hot. You know, he was a little passive in the first half, but in the second half, he was in absolute total control. And the handle, the size, the shooting from three off the dribble, like this is, you know, he looks a lot like Paul George. A lot like Paul George. And Paul George has made a couple of all-NBA teams and – you know, has made a bunch of all-star teams and is a top 15 player in the NBA. So that'd be pretty good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And his SEC final game, he did not shoot the ball well. And still, I mean, he, he shot terribly. I mean, I think he was like five for 20. Couldn't make any threes. And still dominated because of his commitment to rebounding the ball. I mean, just... And, and he got to the line. I mean, yeah. he, he took 10 three free throws that game. So he... Yeah, I mean, and his his ability to alter the game on defense also. Like again, you don't you don't see that a lot for freshman players. Even even the NBA prospects, they almost are out of tune on that end of the floor. So, uh, I mean, the last the last freshman, I mean, freshman prospect who really like dominated college. I mean, yet well, I could think of two, but like it was Kevin Durant. I mean, he didn't go far in the tournament. I think. Did they even win a game? They maybe won one round. I don't remember exactly. But, like, Kevin Durant had that magical Texas year. And, obviously, like, the gold standard is the Carmelo Anthony season. Yeah. I mean, this – yeah. He is number one. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, you're looking at a couple of drafts in the past, and it's – you know, it's not – you know, it's Cade Cunningham. It's Jalen Green. I mean, it's not – I mean, not Jalen Green. Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and, and Scotty. And then the year after, like just last year, it's like Chet and Jabari, and like those are those players didn't dominate the sport. I mean, Paolo, like they were on teams that were good and and they were solid players, but more so NBA prospects, right? Yeah. Uh, if if anything, like I had no idea Paolo had this much to his game because Duke just had so many dudes and a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of guys who were looking to boost their draft stock, and it was all about Coach K's last run, but. Uh, we don't miss Coach K that much. Uh, all right, moving on from the uh, Brandon Miller and the number one overall seed to some lower seeds. I saw a crazy stat on SVP Sports Center last night after the Knicks handled the Lakers, much to my delight. Um, that the 12 seeds combined have this, essentially the same record as all the one seeds in terms of wins and losses. Right, I think they're both like one fifteen and twenty or something along those lines. I saw a crazy stat. 
We talk about the 512 every year. Is this the year where realistically all four 12 seeds win their first round matchups? <laughs> that would be crazy. I don't know if that if that stat is more of a more of a, a sign of like just one seeds playing tough schedules and and you know like I like we kind of talked touched upon last week. There's no like undefeated one seed. Um, but I also no, but, think, I, but I also think it's it just goes to a testament of these teams that like yeah. when they take care of business, like there aren't a lot of crappy teams in the tournament. Totally, totally, and there are, but there also aren't a lot of high major teams that we're going to talk about on the twelve line, right? So you're playing teams in in the, the 10 to 20s of the conference strength um and you know they're gonna win a lot of games because to be in the tournament they have to so um you know they have gaudy win loss records but you know i think potentially out of the five seeds i think miami and st mary's look to me like they're the most vulnerable to get nipped by drake and vcu um respectively i think for drake it's drake's a team that's been here before they're one of the most experienced teams in the country uh, they've been to the NCAA tournament, like I said, the past two years. Um, and they've beaten NCAA tournament teams this year. They beat Louisiana and they beat Mississippi State already. Um, they play in a strong mid-major in, in the Valley. Um, and, and Miami also, uh, you know, this is a team that doesn't bring a ton of size that would normally neutralize a smaller team like like Drake. Um, they can definitely be vulnerable on the defensive end, like we saw against Duke this weekend. And then multiple times they lost to Georgia Tech. They got beat by a horrible Florida State team. Um, and then they just the, the biggest part is that they just lost they lost one of their their bigs in Norchad Ormir um to an injury during the AC tournament. So yeah. that that's a, a spot where I could potentially see a 12 seed. And then similar VCU, I mean this is a a super athletic team that doesn't play a style that's similar to anything that St. Mary's sees in the West Coast conference. Um and it's a huge contrast in styles. I mean, you got a very fast um, tempo team in VCU and then a St. Mary's team that just grinds to the end of the shot, shot clock. Um, I think Ace Baldwin on VCU is one of the best distributing guards in the country. Um, and, and yeah, they, they won their, they won their league and uh, it's, they're, they're, they're really good. I, I just, you know, the other ones, like, I don't think Duke's losing in the first round again, like that would be funny, but. I, I, I potentially because they're so young, but you know, I don't, I don't know if that, and then, you know, San Diego state is just super athletics They're all year long. They've been one of the best teams in the country. So like, I don't, I just don't think that they're, that Charleston's going to be able to overwhelm them and uh, you know, click to get a, a win there. Speaking of Duke, obviously it's year one of the John Shire regime. It was it was fun to hate Duke with Coach K. Now, you know, it's a little less fun. This team has had a rocky season, but they uh, are gaining a lot of momentum right now. Been playing good ball. They've uh, they won the NC, uh, excuse me, the ACC tournament, and now are a five seed. We just talked about the five twelve. If there was one five seed that you were confident in, it seems to me like it would be Duke. Like. Are we taking Duke as a Sweet 16, potentially Elite 8 team? Like, we're taking them that seriously now? Or is it a little bit more smoke and mirrors because the ACC, let's just say, had a down year and they got hot in a not-so-great conference? No, I, I, 
I think that Duke is for real, for sure. I think they're one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They ha- they haven't lost since early February, um, and that was an overtime loss to Virginia, who's on the four line. So I I think Duke is playing really well right now. I thought they got a really good draw too. I mean, um, after after Oral Roberts, if they can beat Oral Roberts, I, you have a Tennessee team that's that's overseeded probably because they just lost their best player and point guard um, a few weeks ago in Zakai Ziegler. So uh, if they can get to the Sweet 16, and then then you have either the what we agree on is the worst one seed. Um, I think that's a great draw. But also, like I mean, Duke has it all. They have high end NBA talent. You know, um, Flapowski and Mitchell are, are are awesome. You know, Derek Lively was at one point the number one prospect in America. Um, and then they have experienced guards, Jeremy Roach. He's been here before. So who I liked. I liked a lot last year. Basically saved their ass a bunch of times. Absolutely. So like if Duke loses, it's going to be because Duke, uh, they hurt themselves, right? They might make mental mistakes. They turn the ball over a bit too much for, for my liking in, in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty foul prone because, you know, that's what happens when you have younger teams. But that draw is good. And, and I think this team has enough talent to, to definitely get to the second weekend and beyond. Just looking at it right now, I mean, they could realistically, they could make the final four. Yeah, I mean, like it's not crazy. It, it it it's possible that their elite eight game will be the first time that they're as a five seed, potentially an underdog, potentially, maybe even not. You know, I mean, do we trust? Listen, I know we talked about the Big East having a comeback here, and Marquette with a great year, Shaka Smart having, you know a bounce back to his career. But, like, do we trust them that much? Like, if it was, you know, against the Duke team and and the, everything that involves Duke with the, you know, the media frenzy and, and, and the fan base that travels, like, would we really trust Marquette in that spot? I mean, the only, the only reason why I trust Marquette in that spot is because they have a great offense and they will turn you over. I mean, this is still a Shaka team. So um, it's, I, I, I like Marquette, but again, they don't have the size or athleticism to handle Duke. I mean, Duke is a big team. <laughs> I mean, they're starting multiple seven footers at all times. So uh it's it's a lot to, to to play up against Duke, but again, they're young and they make mistakes. So, like a, a more experienced team that's running Shaka system in Marquette, if Marquette's even there, right? Um, but yeah. All right. So we just talked about the five seeds. Let, let's go a little deeper cut. Six seed or higher that has a legit chance to make an elite eight run. Elite eight. Who do you have your eye on? Yeah. Sweet 16, Elite Eight. All right. So, or higher. Sure. Let's, I, I'll start with this tough region. I think, you know, a team you touched on upon before is, is TCU. I, I, I like TCU. They're in a tough region, but they're really battle tested. Playing in the Big 12, I think, really prepares you well for, for the tournament. You're playing against the best, you know, most of these teams are top 30, top 40 teams in the country. Um, you know, they were there last year too. That's the thing. They had that experience. They, they went to, I believe the lead eight last year, if not the sweet 16. So they bring back that entire team, that entire team. Um, Mike miles is, is one of the best guards in the country. He's taken a jump. Um, and if they can get by Gonzaga with their ability to defend like crazy, I can see them totally knocking off a UCLA or a 
Northwestern or Boise uh, to, to get onto the Elite Eight. So um, I, I do like TCU. Um, and then, you know, one more team that, you know, I, I really do like, and I, I mentioned before, is this Texas A&M. It seems like an obvious choice. Um, you know, I, I like how Penn State's playing, um, but I think that Texas A&M is just so hot right now. Uh, they defend like crazy. And, you know, Penn State's a little bit about three-point luck. So A&M, and then I'm, I'm just going to do one more since I, I'm here. Uh, Creighton is a team that, you know, we talked about a little bit when we talked about the Big East last week. Um, but I got to see them play in the Garden, and there's a lot to like with this Creighton team. And, and I've watched them before, but I think they're pretty underseeded. And and they've, again, they've played a really tough non-conference, and then they played in the Big East. And um, we're, we're very good throughout their – they have some really big athletic shooters. They're a really good defensive team, and they have one of the best shot-blocking presences in the country in Ryan Kalkbrenner um, manning the post. You know, they, they lost to Xavier uh, when they were just not missing any shots on Friday night. But, um, you know, this is uh, – this is a really good Creighton team. And if they can get by one of the best offenses in the nation in Baylor, I think I like Creighton to make a run here too. Talk to me about USC. Cause that was one I kind of circled a little bit. Like what, what do we think? I mean, it's a, it's a 10 seed. I, I think heads up. I kind of like them ahead of Michigan state. I mean, this was, I thought Michigan state getting a seven was probably big 10 bias over here. Um, talk to me about USC as a 10 seed being frisky. Yeah. yeah, no, no. USC is good. Um, they have, they're, they're a pretty experienced team. They're, they're really big, really athletic. Like, like as per usual, they have a kid named Boogie Ellis, who is a senior guard. It's who, a great uh, name. Yeah. He's, he's really high volume three point shooter, about 40% from distance this year. Um, and then Drew Peterson, who's been there forever. And uh, is is a is a really nice six nine two oh five um, forward who can both shoot and then also finish in, through contact down on the paint. So um, they're a good team, um, but you know for me the pack wasn't such a strong league. Right. And uh, you know they beat UCLA back in January, um, but other than that they got they got swept by Arizona and they they didn't look great against Arizona State. Uh, in the Pac-12 tournament. So, um, you know, it's it's tough when you haven't really shown me m that you can beat the top, top teams. Um, so unless you're at home. Um, but again, like you said, the matchup, Michigan State, that's a team that, you know, if they're cold, they can't score and they shoot a lot in the mid-range. So I could definitely see them moving on there. But, you know, Marquette's going to be a lot to handle. Um, I don't think this is just like a, a walkover yeah. just because they play in the Big East. I think that that's a that's a tough team, and and I think you know if they get to that next weekend, Marquette also will definitely they they did have crowds in the Garden, and they will have crowds. So in that same region, talk to me about Coach Cal's guys. There are six. Yeah. They yeah. would potentially qualify. I know it's Kentucky. They've been kind of blah, but same kind of thing. They've got the mystique, you know. Cal has an interesting tournament history at Kentucky, but you know, it, it, it is Kentucky. Like they do have players. Yeah. 
Yeah, my, yeah. I mean, Kentucky definitely has players. I mean, <laughs> they definitely have players all over the floor. I really liked um, when uh, when they when they started surrounding all the of Chibwe with the shooters and C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves, and then they have Kason Wallace, who's this five star freshman point guard, but he's you know he's a bigger point guard. He's six four, two hundred pounds, and he's a really good defensive player, um, one of the top steal rates in the country. But you know. Kentucky just goes flat on offense sometimes. And we saw it in their loss to Vanderbilt in, in the, they lost to Vanderbilt two times in the past two weeks. So, um, and Vanderbilt wasn't a great team that came on as of late, but um, you know, it's, it's tough if, if, if they're missing their shots and, and Shibwe is not hustling in the paint, which I think he will after, after what happened last year with St. Peter's, I think, you know, Kentucky's out here to make a statement. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens though. You know, the um, from a from a matchup standpoint, looking at Providence, I mean that's that's a really tough defensive team that is really well coached. And then you know you have K State, which I think has um, the best backcourt in the country, and uh, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. So you're gonna you're gonna definitely be tested to get to the Garden. So we'll see with Kentucky. So if you had to circle one, it would be TCU or. Creighton in terms of six seeds or higher that could potentially make like an elite eight final four kind of situation. Sure. Yeah, let's do those. All right, fine. Excellent. All right. So we'll let you go on this because I know we're going to bring you back to recap the first weekend next week. So looking at the, um, at the bracket, your, your final four, what do you have? I mean, yeah, this is going to be terrible, but it's okay. It always is. Um, It always is. Let's go with Alabama out of the South. I mean, they're just, uh, they're just, uh, to me, if it's just about basketball, they should steamroll everyone in the, in, in their bracket. Um, out of the East, let's go with Marquette. I just, again, I really like the way they defend. I like Tyler Kolak and Cam Jones quite a bit. So, um, and then out of the West, I'm going to go with, let me give me UConn. Um, I think UConn's interesting. Such a better team than a four seed. Adama Sonogo, one of the biggest forces in the paint. Um, and they just surround him with some really good, nice shooting wings and guards. So um, I, I like UConn. I, I bet that uh, Danny Hurley did not want to see Rick Pitino in a first-round matchup across the court. So that sucks for him. But I, if they can get by, I think they have an, a nice nice path to get to the Final Four. And then I'm going to go with Houston. I mean, this is a better Houston team than I've seen before. We talked a lot about them last week, but defensively, they're really, really tough to play. And this year, I think they've really picked it up on offense. And it looks like Marcus Sasser will be full health and a full go to play when they, when they uh, lace up against Northern Kentucky this weekend. Yeah, that that's obviously hugely important. Uh, it goes without saying. Um, so I have Bama. I have... Where is it? I have Bama. I've got Duke. I've got Houston. I've got Gonzaga. And I've got Bama over Houston in the final, which will upset Jim Nance tremendously. His last tournament doesn't get to give the tie to his alma mater guys, but whatever. Picks aren't finalized yet, but that's what I'm looking at. Gonzaga to me is just, you know, they just have players who've been there. Like Drew Timmy's been there forever. I, I feel like they're either going under the radar or they're going to be out like super early. 
Totally. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's, it's true, Timmy, but it's also Julian Strother and Anton Watson. I mean, Malachi Smith came over from Chattanooga. He was there last year. And yeah. you, if you remember, he just missed that shot to to get them over Illinois in the upset. So he's been there. And then you have some top prospects in Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman. Um, and then Rasir Bolton, just a really experienced guard who's been in the tournament every single year he's there. So, so yeah, so, that, so that's what I've got. I've got Bama, Duke, Houston, and Gonzaga. And I have Bama winning the whole thing and Brandon Miller having his Carmelo Anthony type moment, uh, even though, you know, Syracuse was a three seed that year, I believe. Uh, it's not exactly the same, but yeah, I, I think he's just, I think he's just tremendous. Jordan, obviously, we're running it back next week, so I don't want to keep you too long. But good luck with the Jets. Good luck with opening weekend, and thanks again for doing it. I'll speak to you next Monday. Absolutely. Good luck this weekend. Later. Thanks again to Jordan Marks. He's basically going to be a co-host on this show for the next couple of weeks for talking about the bracket and a little bit of New York Jets talk. That is episode 201. For the love of the game, take us out, Wheezy F. Baby. stop me, but you can't fool me. I know what you watching. Me, you watch me, you watch me. Cause I be, we see, must see. TV, C3, nigga, that's me, yeah, I'm me. Suffer defeat. I'm back. Three B C three. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.